Christ. In fact, I even noticed there is a poster there in the back. And, uh, you know, I, I was asked recently, said, Steve, you've not seen the movie in, uh, you know, since it came out well over a year ago, and, but you just finally saw it. Would you do that again? Would you see it again? I would say yes. Because I think the movie has many strengths. And some of the strengths of that movie is that, first of all, it's very faithful to the biblical account. The, the, the focus of the movie is upon the last 12 hours of life of Christ. Much of the narrative is pure Scripture. And oftentimes, the other narrative that's used merely helps to supplement the biblical narrative so you can see it in context. That is a strength. Another strength of the movie is that it gives a good representation about what the sufferings of Christ were actually like. His death upon the cross was brutal. And he died a painful death. And the movie didn't seek to candy coat anything about his sufferings. And I think that's a strength of the movie. And personally, I think we ought to think long and hard about the sufferings of Christ that He endured on our behalf. And they are gruesome. In fact, I heard one man recently say that if you were at the foot of the cross watching Christ you would have been so sickened that you would have thrown up because it was so bad. So I think those are strengths. But I think some of the weaknesses of the movie have to do with the fact that it doesn't tell the whole story. For you, who know the whole story, you can fill in the pieces. But for the world who sees the movie, it leaves them empty because it doesn't preach the good news of the Gospel. In fact, one of the weaknesses is that it doesn't explain why Christ suffered so badly. It begins with Jesus praying in the garden, anticipating His sufferings that He's going to experience. And then apparently for no reason at all, He just gets brutally beaten and put upon a cross. And if a non-believer sees that, some with no church context, they'll say, why? I told you about a month ago, I do have a a non-Christian friend whom I've witnessed to who saw that movie and he just said, why? And so I would encourage you, if you have an opportunity to speak about that movie with a non-believer, get into the question of why. Why Christ suffered. Tell him that Christ's death upon the cross was for sins. And that, that he might know forgiveness of sins simply to look to the cross to believe in the sufficient sacrifice. Right? That's the Gospel. John 3.16. Right? Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? To look on Him and to believe in Him means eternal life. No more perishing. And that is why Christ died upon the cross. So that we might experience God in all of His fullness. Well, that movie fails in proclaiming the, the reason why Christ died to the watching world. I believe it's tragic. The movie's got so much attention. The Gospel's not there. Just not. But it does stir some questions you can use. But another deficiency is pretty obvious. I think it comes to the last scene of the movie. The last scene of the movie is about maybe ten seconds of the tomb. And uh, there's really, a, a, I guess, a, it's a picture there of Jesus kind of veiled. You don't see Him totally. Kind of just walk up and out of the tomb. About ten seconds long is all it was. That was the extent of the resurrection. Now I'm... I'm delighted the resurrection got in the movie. But really, it's only an illusion. I mean, it's only like hinted at. And when you watch that, 
you aren't quite sure whether Jesus really raised bodily or whether it was artistic freedom and liberty to say that, you know what, ultimately everything was okay with Jesus. Though he suffered so badly, you know what, look, he's, he's doing fine now. He's not suffering anymore. And that's where the movie fails to finish the story. The message of the sufferings of Christ isn't so much that all is well with Jesus. Though, indeed, sitting upon the throne of the universe, all is well with Jesus. The message of the resurrection, though, and the message of Christ's sufferings is that Christ made all things well for us who believe. Jesus has conquered death so that death no longer is master over Him. And since death no longer is master over Him, it's no longer master over us as well. We can conquer death through Him. 1 Corinthians 15.57 says that it's through faith in Christ that our victory is over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know it's unfair to criticize a movie for what it doesn't say. However, the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't a minor point in the story of the life of Christ. It is the story. The resurrection of Christ is the story of Christianity. For it's when Christ was raised from the dead that His message was verified. We read in our Scripture reading, 1 Corinthians 15, right? Paul says that our faith stands or falls on Christ's resurrection. Should the resurrection prove to be false? Our faith is worthless and we are still in our sins. All it would have taken is one scene. Jesus talking to the disciples to have finished the story. It didn't have to be long. Could have been ten seconds long. Jesus saying, even when He came to the disciples, saying, Peace be with you. There being among them and them talking to Him. That would have solved it. But the movie remains it undone. And see, because all the Gospel writers portray Jesus risen from the dead, interacting with the disciples. We find Him appearing to His disciples, showing Himself to His disciples, speaking to them, allowing His disciples to touch Him. Eating with them in His presence, right? Flesh and blood risen. He wasn't a, a ghost or phantom. Telling them of what the future held for them. Teaching them what they need to do next. When the Bible speaks of the resurrection, it's always simple and straightforward. Right? Jesus was recognized. He spoke with people. He was alive and well. It wasn't some mystery. Jesus, are you fully there? You know, waving your hand right through His body. It wasn't just in the minds of the disciples. Jesus really rose from the dead. And so fundamental is the resurrection of Christianity that when the apostles began to preach to the Jewish people the good news of the, the gospel, they focused their attention upon the fact that they were eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Christ. Frequently they say something like this, You all know that Jesus Christ was a man attested to you by great signs and wonders. And you know how He was crucified unjustly. But let me tell you that Jesus, the death couldn't contain Jesus. He's risen from the dead. In fact, we have spoken to Him. We are eyewitnesses to that. And now He's ascended. He sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. He's the Lord. He is the Christ. This took place just as the Scriptures foretold. Believe in Him. Repent from their sins. That was Peter's message in the day of Pentecost. That was Peter's message sometime later in the temple. That was the message of Paul when he preached in the synagogues. You see that in Acts 13 is one example of that. Repeatedly mentioned in their writings was the resurrection of Christ. In fact, think about this. When Paul summarized the core of the things you need to believe to be saved from your sin... 
The resurrection of Christ was at the heart and soul and center of it. He said, Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, what? That God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so the resurrection of Christ is no minor point to the story of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's central. It is the center of our faith. That's where the movie fails. Didn't finish to tell the story. It leaves you hanging. It leaves you, you you're guessing about what happened to Jesus. But for you all who know, it's profitable to see. Well, this morning at Rock Valley Bible Church, we're going to finish the story. For the past two months, our time in the Scriptures has been dark. Listen to the sermon titles. I've preached the last four sermons. The sufferings of Christ. The crucifixion of Christ. The death of Christ. The burial of Christ. All very dark times. We focused our attention strongly upon the the cruel sufferings and and death of Jesus. But today we come to the, the light at the end of the tunnel. We encounter the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Death can't contain Him. He didn't remain dead. He is risen from the dead. And you know what's interesting about our text this morning is that Because of our text this morning, we look back to the cross in an entirely different light. You might picture it like this. It's the light of the resurrection. I take imagine I have a flashlight here and I have a cross over there and it's a dark room and dark and sorrowful, the sufferings, the death and the burial of Christ. And then, boom, I flash, flash on the flashlight and I shine it upon the cross. Looking back with the resurrection view now... We can look at the cross in great light and with great excitement, great enthusiasm. In fact, when we went through those verses, there was great light. But to go through those verses without the resurrection leads only to darkness. But with the resurrection, it transforms the cross to be, to be mighty bright and to shine and so that, Christ, so that Paul might say, may it never be that I should boast except in the cross You know, from time to time we sing a hymn called, O Mighty Cross. And the the chorus of the story goes, His sacrifice on Calvary has made the mighty cross a tree of life to me. That instrument of torture, that instrument of death, with the light of the resurrection shining upon the cross, it becomes life and light to all of us who believe. So you just now think about it. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you might as well flick off that flashlight and look at the cross. It's dark. Is it any wonder then that Paul says to those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness? Is it any wonder then that those who fail to believe in the resurrection of Christ, the the Jews, they stumble over the cross because they can't see it. There's no light shining upon the cross. It's the resurrection that illumines the cross that we might rejoice in it. So with that as an introduction, I trust that your heart to be ready to read this resurrection account in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew writes, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. 
And the angels answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here, for He has risen, just as He said, Come, see the place where He was lying. And go quickly and tell His disciples that He has risen from the dead. And behold, He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Behold, I have told you. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to His disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of His feet and worshipped Him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to My brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they shall see Me. Well, I've pulled out three lessons in our text this morning for us all. Lesson number one is this. Look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. In verse 1, we encounter two women looking for Jesus, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. These were the same women that were at their burial. I trust you remember when Jesus was buried in chapter 27, verse 61, that there was Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. They're returning to where they were. And once they left the tomb, surely they'd return home before beginning the Passover celebration before the sun went down. For once the sun went down, the celebration started. They spent the Passover at home, not daring to walk the distance to the tomb during the Sabbath day, for that would be breaking the Sabbath. That wouldn't be the right thing to do. But the moment the Sabbath was over, just as it says in in verse 1, As it began to dawn, they came to look at the grave. Just as it was just bright enough, the moment that they could come and look for Jesus, they did. The very first opportunity. Now, even I would say their coming to, to look for Jesus in the tomb was an act of devotion. They weren't simply going to look at the grave as an observer or look at the grave as a mourner. They were looking for the body of Jesus. Mark chapter 16, verse 1 says, They brought spices and were coming to anoint Him in the grave. Now, we know that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had initially anointed the body of Jesus with some spices, but it needed more. And these women were bringing the more spices that were needed after the initial spices were applied. And they loved Jesus and were faithful to Him even after His death by doing one final kind deed for His body that would soon decay. And yet we know the promise of the psalmist that He would not allow His Holy One to undergo decay. And so when these women came to the scene, they didn't find the body. They didn't find what they were expected to see. They were expecting to see this, this grave with a giant stone, right? this giant quarter, really thick, really big, stuck in front of it. And in fact, even Mark tells us the discussion along the way was, how are they going to get the stone out of the way? It was so extremely large that they knew that they would need help. And perhaps they were hoping the gardener would be there or someone else to help move the stone away. Or perhaps they could persuade the guards, maybe, who were guarding the tomb, protecting the tomb from anybody coming in to steal the body. They didn't know. That was in their mind. But a few surprises awaited them. First of all, the stone that covered the entrance to the tomb was already rolled away, is what verse 2 says. It was no longer covering the entrance of the tomb. They could have walked right into the tomb easily. But that wasn't the only surprise. Seated upon the stone was an angel whose appearance was like lightning, whose garment was as white as snow. And according to verse 2, we find that it was this angel 
who moved the stone away. Perhaps he moved it with the severe earthquake that occurred. Maybe he just used his strong strength to roll it away all by himself. That's what I think he did. He was certainly strong enough for that. At any rate, at any rate his appearance stunned the guards. Verse 4 tells us that they shook for fear of him and became like dead men. In other words, they were scared stiff. Just like, Ugh. who is this? What is this? You know, they're, they're just shaking for fear. At first, their reaction was one of fear and trembling. Like, you, you ever been scared? Right? You know, things going on and someone comes up from behind you and they say, boo. And what do you do? Boo. And then, then finally you calm down. But you know what? They went like that first, but they never had the chance to calm down. Because this angel was still there. Imagine you're sitting, you know, and you're about to be scared. You don't know this. And someone says, boo! And then you turn around and then you see this angel. Go, oh! That's what they did. Maybe they fainted. They became like dead men. Maybe they didn't know how to respond. Maybe their, their mouth was just open, terrified, confused. Like, what's going to happen? I don't, I don't want to go. I don't know what to do. They'd never seen such an angel before. In a few weeks, People are going to dress up in all different kinds of costumes. Some will be scary, you know, of skeletons and ghosts and demons and many of those trying to be scary. They'll be oftentimes be really dark. But you know what? This was just the opposite. This wasn't dark to be scary. This was light to be scary. Think about this costume. White. Clothes, the brightest t-shirt, white gloves, right? Turtleneck, white sweatshirt, white pants, white shoes, dazzling, and then draped with Christmas lights maybe, just all around so that boom, 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 you, you, you flash and you see. It says here even that the, the angel here looked like lightning. You know how lightning looks when it goes, you know, and it flashes and it's off. So here was this angel sitting there, just, just flashing, radiating in appearance. It's difficult even now to approximate. We wouldn't have batteries strong enough to, to, to represent the, just the radiance that this angel showed forth. It's no, it's no surprise that these guards were, surpri- were terrified and these women were terrified as well. First words out of his mouth was, do not be afraid. Think about things. It's far easier said than done. I mean, one thing, you just don't encounter these kind of angels every day. And for another thing, his appearance is enough to scare anybody away. You know, flash of lightning just right there. But the angel's words proved comfort aimed at calming down these terrified women. He said in verse 5, I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. Now, in saying these words, I'm sure the Marys were greatly comforted. He communicated that he knew why they were there. And I don't think this took omniscience to know that. I think the angels simply could have observed what was taking place and known why the women were there. First of all, you know, the women came with these big bags, you know, big shoulder burdens, a big something carrying spices. And the angel merely would have looked to see, what is that you're carrying? Oh, those... Those are spices. Oh, you've come to anoint the body. And, and the, the angels certainly know who was in the tomb, right? And it wasn't circumstance that he, the angel just happened upon the right tomb. No, the angel knew that it was the tomb of Jesus. And so putting those together and knowing, knowing that Jesus rose from the dead, kind of, 
you all have come looking for Jesus. The angel then continued, He is not here, verse 6. He is risen just as He said. And, and I think about these angels' words, how, how they could have come with condemnation. They could have come, What are you holding in your hands, dear ladies? Are those spices for burial, perhaps? Why are you bringing these spices? Didn't Jesus tell you that He would rise from the dead? Didn't He tell you over and over and over and over again that He would rise from the dead? Oh, your faith is so small. You'll never please Him with such small faith as that. Why didn't you believe? I mean, look, this is the third day since He'd been crucified. He said He'd rise again on the third day. You foolish women. But you know what? The angel didn't say this. The angel came with words of comfort Words of encouragement and help, like God's words often are. Oftentimes, it's our own souls that come with condemning words like that. God often comes with kind, encouraging words like He did here. He's risen just as He said. And then He invites, come and see the place where He is laying. At this point, the angel probably stepped down from his stone seat stepped a few steps, walked down and said, here, why don't you come and see? He was laying right there. And what do you suppose that they saw? They saw probably exactly what Peter saw in a few moments. When Peter entered the tomb, Peter beheld linen wrappings lying there. And this face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. You ever thought about the significance of that? that his, his wrappings around his body were there and his face cloth was neatly rolled up and folded. It means that nobody took the body. Because if you're going to take the body, you're not going to unfold it right there and put it down. Grave robbers at that time were common. Stealing bodies so they might take jewelry off of them. Or might take anything, you know, maybe a value they were buried with. they just take the whole body, go to another place, and then dismember it, take it apart, see what they could steal. But the fact that Jesus made His bed before He got up is a strong proof. So parents, you want to encourage your children to make their beds also. You might just say, be like Jesus, guys. But notice here, the only reason why they're privileged to see the empty tomb is because they went looking for Jesus. Right? I mean, the only reason they were privileged to hear a messenger come from heaven and tell them where Jesus was because they went looking for Him. And that's what, Jesus, that's what this messenger says. It says, go quickly and tell His disciples He's risen from the dead. He's going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Behold, I have told you. They're looking for Jesus. Jesus wasn't there, but in the mere fact of doing that, this angel told them where Jesus was and would be. It directed them there. He said, go to Galilee. That's where you find Jesus. That's where the disciples are supposed to go. And they obeyed that. Look at verse 16. The eleven proceeded to Galilee where they met up with Jesus. And the lesson I'm pulling from these verses is really pretty simple. I just say, look for Jesus. As they looked for Jesus, they didn't find Him directly, but they were directed to where they might find Him. And the same is true for you as well. If you seek for Jesus, you'll find Him. That's what He promised God did to the people of Israel. It's true for us today. Deuteronomy 4.29 If you will find Him, if you search for Him with all your heart and with all your soul. 2,000 years after the resurrection, you, you won't find Jesus by going and finding some empty tomb in Jerusalem. Just hoping for an angel to direct your way. Where's Jesus? 
No, where do you find them today? You find them in the pages of the Bible. That's God's testimony to If you want to find Jesus, you find Him here in the Bible. It will direct you to Christ. In fact, you want to summarize the whole message of the Bible? Jesus said, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But it's they that what? Bear witness of Me. Right? The Scriptures bear witness to Jesus. You're looking for Jesus? Look in the Scriptures and you will find Him. The way to find Christ is through faith. We don't see Him today. We don't hear the voice of Jesus today. But by faith, we can find Him. It really leads right nicely up to my next point. It's this. Not only should you look for Jesus, but you should also believe He is risen. Believe He is risen. That comes from verse 8. Which Matthew writes, And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to His disciples. <clears throat> now, these women believed what the angel had told them. They responded with quick obedience and I believe that their response was a response of faith. It doesn't say so explicitly in the text, but I believe that's what it was. The angel told them to go quickly and tell His disciples He's risen from the dead and that's exactly what they did. They went quickly. There was no delay in their obedience. They knew they'd seen the angel. They'd seen the empty tomb. They had some good news to tell. And so they responded quickly. Like that moment, as soon as the angel finished saying his last sentence, they said, okay, let's go. And they just didn't stroll. Hey, let's see, let's, let's see the disciples. You know, they didn't walk like this. What's the text say? It says they, they ran. They ran. Picture it in your mind. Two Jewish women coming from the cemetery, girding up their, their tunics and running along the road. Picture Judy Iverson, Ruthie Bell, out running up Bell School Road to get to the Belanders to tell them the good news. That looked a little silly, huh? What it looked like. I don't think that it was too ladylike in that culture for women to run down the road as they did, but you know what? They didn't care. They had some news to tell, and they're going to get there just as fast as they could to tell good news. You ever have good news in your soul that you just want to want to say and speak forth? I know that happens sometimes with my wife. I've got something I want to tell her, but you know, I'm gone or she's gone or she's busy and I can't tell and I just can't wait to tell her. Right? That's what was happening. They can't wait to tell them. And I suspect as they're running, they're probably winded. Okay? They're full sprint, you know, running to, to see the disciples. I think they're winded. They didn't have much time to, to talk, but they had time for their minds to, to think upon and dwell upon the realities of these past several days. That they can remember, you know what? Jesus told us of what was going to take place in Jerusalem. Jesus told us that he was going to be betrayed into the hands of the chief priests and the scribes. And Jesus told us He's going to be condemned to death and scourged and even crucified upon the cross. All these things took place. We saw Him betrayed. We saw Him condemned. We saw Him scourged and crucified. But, but Jesus also said the third day is going to rise from the dead. You know, they're running along thinking about that. And they're thinking, could it be true? Did he really rise? The tomb was empty. Those guarded by some soldiers, they wouldn't have let anybody in or out. The angel said that he'd... Ra and this is the third day. 
Could it be true? Is he really risen? It must be. Wait till Peter and John hear about this. I wonder what they will say. Those type of thoughts surely were going through their minds as they ran to the disciples to talk to them. And, and maybe as they thought about these thoughts, they were encouraged to run even faster to get there sooner. And we're told that their hearts were filled with fear and with great joy. I think they were fearful because they didn't quite know what to expect, right? We're always fearful of the unknown. They, they discovered an empty tomb and they began putting pieces together and said, could this be, are we on the cusp of a great discovery? Could it be? Kind of just trembling with fear. I, I think that they were joyful because they knew that all hope wasn't lost. They had some good news to tell. And they were going to tell the disciples that Jesus was risen from the dead. And they were joyful and ready to tell this news because they believed. Now, sadly, when you begin to put the biblical accounts together, these women didn't stand firm in their faith and their conviction about what took place. They seemed to waffle a little bit. Luke's Gospel seems to indicate... In fact, it does indicate that they reported everything that they saw to the disciples. Luke 24, verse 9, we read, They returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. So they told them everything that happened. They told them the words of the angel. They told them the open tomb that they saw. They told them the, the appearance. They told them perhaps they felt the earthquake. They told them the guards. They told them the whole story. But Luke tells us that the eleven refused to believe. Rather, in Luke 24, verse 11, these two women appeared to them as nonsense. Like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. I'm sure the disciples were saying, ladies, what are you talking about? That can't be true. That's not right. From John's Gospel, it's worse. <clears throat> we get the feeling the women didn't even fully believe at all. We were at the beginning of John chapter 20 when Mary Magdalene saw the stone roll away from the tomb. She ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And he said this, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid Him. Were those words of faith? They weren't. When you harmonize these accounts together, you can only put together a scenario that says initially the women reported everything that they had seen. They reported that He was risen from the dead and that that's what they believed and saw. And yet, as the doubts came to their minds by the disciples... He said, are you sure? Did you see Jesus? Maybe someone came and took away the body. Eventually they backed down to maybe talk about just the, the raw facts of what they knew. They said, well, the tomb is empty and the body of Jesus isn't there. Maybe they moved the body. Maybe they took the body and laid Him. And, and here on the one hand, filled with great, great joy and faith, I believe, telling everything has happened. Then they came to a point of, well, maybe we, our hope was false. At any rate, their report caused Peter and John to run to check it out for themselves. When they saw the empty tomb, they believed the report that these women had brought, yet they didn't fully grasp the significance of everything that took place because John wrote that as yet they did not understand the Scripture that He must rise again from the dead. So they believed some things, but they, <coughs> they weren't fully aware and as the picture emerges, you have these women that believe Jesus was raised from the dead and yet not being fully persuaded in their own minds. They were somewhat convinced and yet there was confusion or doubt in their minds. Now, does this at all hit home with your experience of faith? Right, being convinced and yet having some doubts and, and maybe waffling sometimes. 
I know for me it does. There are times when my heart soars in faith of the risen Christ and even seemingly moments later can be cast into the depths of doubt and unbelief. My heart can easily sway. But is it really true? Can it be? And I find that in moments like these, the cure for me is to look for Christ. Just like the women did. I find the cure to be be reading the Bible. Come back. Get a fresh look at it again. It's to to look for Christ by, by praying to Christ, by meditating upon the cross. See, because God has called us to believe that He has risen. <clears throat> and that is the work that we are called to. Jesus said, do the work. Believe in Me. Now, one of the reasons why I love this application at this point in the message is because these women were in the same situation that we are in. As they reported these things back to the disciples, had they seen the risen Christ yet? Hadn't seen Him. They'd only seen the empty tomb. It's not until verse 9 that they saw Jesus. And yet they had faith to run back and tell Him all that they had just witnessed. And we as well. We've not seen Jesus risen from the dead. We've just read about the empty tomb. And we understand the Scriptures. I was foretold that it must take place. We see the many proofs, which we'll get into next time, of all the proofs of Christ and His resurrection. And yet, we're called to be like these women. We're called to believe the message of the angel in verse 6. He's not here. He has risen just as He has said. And so I ask you, do you believe? Do you believe in the risen Christ? Do you believe that Christ has risen from the dead? Perhaps this morning finds you having weak faith. (laughs) Be encouraged. You're just like these women. They were strong in a sense which they believed, and yet having difficulty in fully grasping it with their minds, they were weak and easily persuaded against reality. You know, I've always been blessed by the passage in which Thomas finally has an opportunity to touch Jesus. There that comes at the end of of John chapter 20. Jesus invites him to put his fingers into his side to touch him. I can just even picture the picture of Rembrandt, you know, showing, showing Thomas touching the, the side of Jesus. And at that moment, you know what his response was? It was worship. My Lord and my God. Worshiping when he got to, to touch. Got to see Jesus. But the manner in which Jesus responds to Thomas then comes a great blessing to us. Listen to the next verse, what Jesus said. He said, Thomas, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. You might say, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. He's talking about us. Blessed are us who we have not seen him, but we believe. We've only heard the stories about Jesus, and yet when we believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, we are blessed of God. The response of Thomas was worship. I love the response of these women. It was worship as well. It's my third point. Worship Him. Verses 9 and 10. Worship Him. You know, worship is 
The only response these women could have when they saw Jesus risen from the dead, look at verse 9. Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of His feet and worshipped Him. That's what Thomas, when he fully realized and came to grasp with the resurrected Christ, he worshipped Him. And when you come to believe and trust in the resurrected Christ, you will worship Him. Now, certainly at this time, it must have been a shock for these women to actually see Jesus alive. They had thoughts about Jesus being risen from the dead, but they didn't know exactly what that meant. For all they knew, Jesus had risen from the dead, returned to His heavenly Father, never to walk on the planet again. For all they knew, Jesus was gone. And yet here was Jesus greeting them in flesh and blood, saying, Hello. I remember having a taste of what this reunion was a bit like. It was about 15 years ago. I was studying the Bible in seminary in Los Angeles. And a friend of mine was driving his car back from California to Illinois. And he made the deal. I need to get the car from California to Illinois. How about, can you drive for me, help to rotate drivers so we can get all the way back home to Illinois? And we get back there, I'll buy you a ticket back to California. So I'm thinking, that'd be great. And uh, I took him up on the offer but I, I didn't tell my parents, my brothers and sisters at all. And so we drove all the way back. We drove right through the night, one night, 48 hours from California to Illinois, driving right through. And it was 4 o'clock Sunday afternoon. I remember because I was excited we get to go to church with the family. And uh, I kind of walked in the garage, in the door and said, Hello, how are you all doing? And they were like, What are you? What are you doing here? And I'm like, Well, I just I thought I'd stop by, you know. And it, it took them a while to kind of get over the shock. And then once they got over the shock, you know, hugs and kisses around. And then I got to tell the story. And I'm sure that's what Jesus felt like. As finally he gets to, to show himself to the, these women. I think about, Avon's going to do that as well, okay? I'm not going to put this in my transcript yet. And um, maybe we'll edit it out of the sermon on the internet. But I don't think so. Because she's going to surprise her sister who's pregnant with baby right now. And um, she's due in the first part of November. And Yvonne, we got some frequent flyer miles. Yvonne's got it. Okay, as soon as I know she's in labor, I'm hopping on the first plane I can to California. And Yvonne has told me on several occasions, I just can't wait until I can walk in the hospital room there and say, Hi, Janelle. Janelle, you know, goes into cardiac arrest. <laughs> what are you doing here? That's what she's looking at doing. And that's what Jesus did. I'm sure that He had much the same feelings. You put the narratives together, and the best guess is that this meeting took place right there in the garden. Jesus may be standing at a distance, maybe behind a rock or something, watching these women as they were dealing with the empty tomb. And they were weeping. And they were crying because their hope was lost. At one point, they were filled with joy because they had hope. And then these disciples cast doubt into their hearts and they were weeping and sorrowing and back at the grave again and saying, Jesus, where's the body? Where's the body? Jesus walked up behind them to them and John tells us that Mary turned around and beheld Jesus standing there but didn't know it was Jesus. <clears throat> Thought He was the gardener. Jesus said, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Knowing full long. You know, I, I get the picture. He's a little bit like Joseph. You remember Joseph when he egged on his brothers a little bit? 
you know, putting him in order and not telling them about who exactly he was until finally the time when he could say, I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph and I was sent. God sent me here. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I was sent here to save your life and it's a time of rejoicing, right? And that's what Peter was doing. He's setting up the key time and the moment. He said, woman, why are you weeping? And she turned to Jesus, not recognizing him. He said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Right? Maybe even she was thinking that this tomb, it's, it's Jesus, you know, didn't even have a home, didn't have anywhere to lay his head. He's a poor man. He's in this rich man's tomb. You know, if he doesn't belong there, I'll take him out. I'll take him away. I'll give him a burial in some smaller tomb. That's okay. I just want the body. And then Jesus said to her, you remember what he said? Mary. Something about the way in which she said it, perhaps miraculous, opening her eyes to see him now. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. <clears throat> At that point, verse 9 comes. He came up, took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. The emotion at that point must have been overwhelming. There must have been tears of joy. There must have been a sense of, of reality that everything that Jesus had taught them over these several years, it was true. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. Death has been conquered and worship Jesus is what they were doing. And I just say to you that worship is the only response that you can have to a risen Lord. The idea we get here from verse 9 is that they were prostrate on the ground clinging to the feet of Jesus, not letting Him go, giving glory and honor to Him as the Lamb of God. And we read from John's account that this seemed to linger a bit. For Jesus finally had to say, Stop clinging to Me. It's okay. It's okay. He says, For I have not yet ascended to My Father. So you've got to wait. I'm going to ascend to My Father. <clears throat> then I'm coming back. I don't know how it all works out time frame, but he's going to meet them in Galilee. But I don't think any, either of these women were interested in ceasing to worship Jesus. They were so overjoyed and it needed to be Jesus who stopped them because they never would have stopped on their own. I just say, how does that measure up to your worship of Him? Are there times when you get so involved in worship that, that you just want it to keep going and keep going and keep going? And, and is, that, is that all? Do we have to go home now? I was worshiping Him. I'm worshiping the risen Christ. <clears throat> when Jesus was finally able to free Himself, He gave Him instructions. He said, don't be afraid. <laughs> Probably we're filled with fear and joy again. But go take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they shall see Me. I'm not sure these words came to these women as too pleasing to the sound? I mean, is their desire now that Jesus was risen to be with Him? They didn't want to, you know, just have a five-minute encounter with Jesus only to see Jesus gone again. Maybe they'd never see Him again. They wanted to continue to worship Him. And I would say the worship of Jesus is what marks genuine believers of Christ. That's what it does. We are the true circumcision, Right? To worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Philippians chapter 3. And worship is our application. It was the first response of these women and it ought to be our continued response of our hearts. 
the reality of the risen Lord ought to constantly be on our minds and draw us to respond to Him in worship. See, the resurrection resurrection is time-space proof that our faith is real and that we are justified before God and that our sins are gone. When you come to embrace that, when you come to believe that, you can do nothing else but worship Him who is worthy of worship and praise. You can do nothing else but worship the highest of all beings, the God of the universe, who for some strange reason loved His enemies to die for them, to reconcile them to Himself. Why? That for ages to come we'd show forth the marvels of His grace. What can we do but to worship Him? You know, at the conference I did pick up John Piper's next book, newest book. It came out, I'm not sure, two weeks ago. It's called God is the Gospel. And in that book, basically, he argues that the good news of Christ is that by Christ purchasing for us our salvation, our redemption, we get God. We get to enjoy God forever, right? That's the chief end of man, according to the Westminster Confession, right? To love God and enjoy Him forever. That's the chief end of man. To know God and enjoy Him forever. To know Him and to enjoy Him, we get God And that is what worship is about, is getting God and worshiping Him in all of His fullness and all of His glory. Because God is indeed all in all, and there's no response better for us than to worship Him. So this morning, as you think of the resurrection, look for Jesus. Perhaps this morning finds you doubting. Look for Jesus. Perhaps this morning finds you full of faith. Well, continue to look after Him. Continue to seek for Him. Believe He is risen and worship Him. Let's pray. The words of the psalmist, O Lord, come to mind. What shall I render unto God for all these blessings? What shall I render? What shall I give? You've given your all to reconcile us to yourself. All that we can do is give our all to you. Not at all to earn anything because, Lord, you sit in the heavens and you're neither served nor you need to be served by anybody since you're the one that gives life and breath and all things to you. And yet, our response can only be thanks and wonder and praise and affection and honor to you, our great King, our great Redeemer. God, I pray as we think of the, the risen Christ this resurrection morning at Rock Valley Bible Church that our hearts would be attuned to give you great praise and great honor for you alone are worthy of all of it. We do pray in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen.